Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Pastor Neil, for those kind words. And uh, wow, I've got a lot to live up to. But he forgot husband, father, Steelers fan. <laughs> We're going to be in uh, Philippians chapter 2 as you guys continue to work through it. I love the fact of you going through the Bible just uh, and through a particular book, a section at a time. Um, just was, I had a wonderful time in the Word preparing, and I just hope that you guys enjoy and just really dive into it with me as well. We're going to be focusing today. The title of the message is called Following Model Servants. And uh, really, if you, if you stop and think about it, what the real focus we, we think about is, is that we really need servants who will model unity that's found in Jesus. We really need servants, key word on servants, who will model unity that's found in Jesus. And so we're going to be spending time talking about unity today and really getting an understanding. But we look at it, we, we're all kind of gathered here, right? And I love the song that was, was sung about us and it laid, laid down some of the, the foundations and some of the key points that we focus on, that we can all say that we believe in Jesus Christ and in his resurrection and, and salvation and all the different things that we receive that unite us together. And so, because when we look around, it's really hard to find in our country today a lot of unity. There's more factions than anything else that we find. And uh, if you start trying to talk about unity in this country or even suggest that you want to have hope or prayer for unity, many people want to laugh at you, say you're an idealist and that it's not possible. And so in many ways, we become the states of America rather than the United States of America. And that just means we need to be able to pray for our country all the more. But what about unity in the church? If we can't have it in the country, can we at least have unity within the church? Well, unfortunately, we see denomination after denomination dividing and separating, and, and we set up a new denomination so we can say how we're different from these other people and how we're different from these other believers. And so it um, becomes a challenge. And some of the differences are big, some are small. And even within our own denomination, we're about to gather in New Orleans to debate and argue over issues that most likely divide us even more. And I'm not saying that some arguing isn't worth it. There's some things that are worth fighting for. But however, as a result of these different debates and arguments, we usually don't argue and wind up coming close together. Usually when we argue, there's more chance of a separation rather than us becoming united. And so when we talk about the message today that we'll see in Philippians, today we're in need of servants who will model the unity that's found in Christ. And so that brings us to the scripture that we have for today because the church at Philippi needed some model servants. And so we're going to, if you want to turn in your Bible, we're going to be Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to spend most of our time in verses 19 through 30. But we're also going to, I'm going to have you take a look back at some verses you've seen recently, which is Philippians 2, verses 2 through 4. And so just to give you a little bit of background, you may have already had this, so I apologize if this is redundant, but just to be able to set the stage, uh, the church at Philippi is a church that 
was planted by Paul. My bride, uh, Michelle, and I had an opportunity to go there about a little over a year ago. We got a chance to take the, uh, the tour of the churches of Revelation and, and the journeys of the different missionary journeys that Paul took throughout Greece and Turkey. And, and so it just opened up the, the Bible to us, allow us to see it in a whole new, rich and refreshing way. And I started to bring a whole bunch of pictures, but we just moved, so I'm really struggling to try to find out which hard drive I had all the pictures on. I did lose them, I promise. Um, but we also see that the Church of Philippi is one of the first churches that was ever planted on European soil. And Paul is writing, if you stop and think about it, it's a church he planted. So he's writing a letter from a jail, and there's debate about what prison he was in at the time, but he's writing a letter to a church that he had planted. So you can stop and think there was probably many people he knew. And there's a lot of transition you're in the process of going through here. I guess you can imagine. Imagine, say, six months or a year from now, Pastor Neil is writing you a letter. Not from jail, not from jail. <laughs> but he's writing you a letter because he knows most of you. And so if he's hearing things about how Calvary Church is doing and the wonderful things that are taking place, you can imagine the kind of the thought process because he, as he writes it, he knows most of you, if not all. And so it's a very personal letter. And so as we look into the, the text and we see that um, in part of the process of planting the church, that one of, the, uh, one of Paul's uh, colleagues, Silas, they both were imprisoned at Philippi for, for in the process of planting the church, they got put in jail. So any of you church planters out here, think about it. You know, you think you suffer from some things, but, you know, not many of us go to jail today for planting the church. And if you want to take a look more at the story of how the church got planted, take a look at Acts chapter 16. That's where most of it is listed. So let's get into the scripture now. I'm going to be reading Philippians 2, beginning at verse 19. I'm reading from the New American Standard, the 2020 edition. This is Paul's words. He says, but I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven character that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Therefore, I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me. And I trust in the Lord that I myself will also be coming shortly. But I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly, so that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I, be, I may be less concerned about you. 
Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold people like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to compensate for your absence in your service to me. So as we read the words there and we see it, the thing we have to first point out and take a look at is the Philippians needed examples. As we read through the text, and the, the first thing that jumped out at me is as we read through, Paul is promising to send some companions back to the church that he planted in Philippi. And we, we think about it, we see what he's doing, and, and in many ways, I don't know if you like me, when you read the text, you stop and you think, wow, that's just a wonderful gesture that Paul's making. Look, look at what he's doing. He's this selfless act. He's in prison, but he still has his thoughts elsewhere on churches that he's planted. And he's in the process of saying, I'm going to make this wonderful gesture. I'm going to send some disciples, some of my followers, some of my colleagues back to the church to help the church of Philippi. But what I don't want you to do is to miss what's really going on here and what Paul is really in the process of doing. How many of you ever have had a compliment sandwich? How many of you have ever, I know people have brisket, you have like, you know, burritos, you have a lot of different foods, but a compliment sandwich is one where you take a, you have something really, really bad you want to tell somebody, some news that you really need to deliver to them. And what you do is you, you, you take it and you sandwich it in between two compliments. So you start off with telling them something really, really good that's going on, something, man, you did, wow, you look really good today. Boy, that sermon was horrible. And then you end it with something else kind of really positive, like, wow, this is really nice. You know, your, your wife is lovely. <laughs> so it's a compliment sandwich. It never, ever tastes as good as it looks. And so the thought is, is that this is what really what Paul is doing. And if we don't, if we don't catch it, we miss what he's really trying to do with the church of Philippi. So I, I encourage you, later, go back and reread any of Paul's letters. Specifically, you could go back here, obviously, right here at Philippians, also the book of Romans, and you just look at what he's written, and you'll see it, how he's written it in the, in the style of a compliment sandwich. And so what happened is, is that Paul, planter of this church, in many ways knew the strengths and weaknesses that existed with the, with the, the body of believers of Philippi. And by knowing that, he is writing not only to encourage them, but also to admonish them. And when he's trying to admonish them to do what? To foster a stronger unity. Nobody really ever has to write you and tell you about something that you're already doing, do they? If they do, they will usually say they'll encourage you to continue doing it and, and never stop. But, but you'll see in the letters that Paul writes and we see in Scripture is that he's really writing to, to tell people, to remind them of things that they used to be doing or should be doing so that they can improve and that they can get better. And we have a clue of this because Paul kind of starts off by saying in verse, in verse 19, uh, well, let's go back a little bit because um, I told you there's another text that we have to pay attention to. 
So the, the, the main verses we're focusing on today talks about how Paul is sending Epaphroditus and sending Timothy to Philippi to help support them and help encourage them and also to help deal with some issues that they had. But in order to see the issues that they had that he's really focusing on, we have to go back probably a few sermons ago, but let's go back earlier in chapter 2, verses 2 through 4, which is really what Paul, the, the crux of his argument is and his admonishment to the church of Philippi about unity. And so he says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. So we think about those four things, right? Those are key four things. But then he goes to the negative and says, do nothing from, selfish, from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So once again, he's talking to the church and talking to believers and, and letting them know the things that they needed to do in order to bring about unity. And the key and interesting thing he says is, he starts that off with the phrase, make my joy complete. In many cases, that's why I say you can miss this compliment sandwich because Paul is really taking it on himself. He doesn't really say to them, there's incompleteness in you. He says, there's, there's something missing in me. My joy is not complete. And he, so he says that in a, in a very kind of whimsical way. He doesn't say to them, well, you know, you're, you're really far from being Christ-like. You really got to work on a little bit more on that. You know, like we might tell our kids, yeah, that C minus is okay, but you really need to focus on getting an A. Instead, we might tell them, you know what, I really didn't help you study properly. I really didn't help you learn the things you needed to learn. I'm going to take it on me. And so in many ways, that's what Paul is doing here, but he's still very, very cleverly is getting at the issue that they needed to deal with. We always call it where I grew up. It's like you're holding somebody to support them, but you're hitting them with the other hand so that they don't fall. You're giving them and dealing with the message you need to give, but at the same time, you're loving them with the other one to be able to know, hey, I still got you, but kind of slap and, and, and get, get it together. And so he starts off by saying, make my joy complete. And if, you know, we're Southern Baptist Convention, it's almost like people in the South, they would say, bless your heart. <laughs> yeah, they're really, really saying, they're not really saying, it doesn't really mean what you think it means, right? That there's some other things that you have to do different. So if we go back and we look at those things, those four things, being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit and intent on one purpose. And so as we take a look at these, just, I'm just going to recap it here. It probably was already covered, but just so we have it here. Being of the same mind means think the same thing. Agree on the truth. Right? Agree on the truth. So when you talk about being of the same mind, that doesn't mean you have to think the exact same thing. Sometimes my wife and I, we're driving and, you know, we both say, wow, we're hungry. We're, we're the same mind. We, we both know we need to eat. She may want to go to a fancy restaurant. I may want to go to Wendy's. 
But the thought is we don't necessarily exactly think the same thing, but we're still of one mind. So the thought is, is that agreeing, thinking the same thing, agreeing on the truth. The next one with regards to unity is maintaining the same love. And that love that we see in the text here, as you're probably familiar with it, is agape love. And, and the best example you can go to is my favorite part of Scripture, which is John chapter 21, where Paul, I'm sorry, Peter and Jesus had a conversation about love, where Peter was focusing on phileo, brotherly love, while Jesus was talking to him about agape love, self-sacrificial. So the thought is, is that we have to maintain that same type of love, and Paul lays out the type of love that's necessary. So if you're going to bring about unity, these are the key ingredients. These are the things that you need to have. And the next one is united in spirit. And that can be phrased as one being one-souled, being united. And, and we look, can look no further or have to look no further than, than a godly marriage to think about what it means to be one soul, to be united together and united in the spirit. And then the last one is, is intent on one purpose. That means one main goal. So those are the things, the key ingredients that Paul is really getting at when he's talking about unity and that he believes Timothy and Epaphroditus can really help the church of Philippi with. And so these are the things we need to do to obtain unity. Divisions existed probably in the Philippian church, and Paul was writing to get them back focused on what they needed to do to be united. And what you have to understand, Calvary, is that just saying we're united doesn't make it happen. You actually have to follow it up with action. There must be actions which would lead to unity. And Paul is in the process of laying out these actions clearly for them so they got a good understanding of what it means to be united. And based on some of the things that are in the process of taking place here, more than ever, you all are going to need to be united. And so what Paul's answer to them to do is he is in the process of sending them two model servants who are going to be examples to them of the characteristics that he just laid out earlier in chapter 2 on unity. See, once again, we remember Paul knew, by knowing the church, he knew that writing a letter was just going to be one component of what they needed to be successful. If they were going to be united, he couldn't just write them a letter, but he knew that he also needed to give them an example so that they not only had his writing and his letter, but he now had examples that they had examples who were going to be able to, quote-unquote, disciple them in unity. And so let's just take one quick moment to kind of discuss unity, because it's a word that we need to really kind of define by example so that we can kind of get a sense. Understand that Philippians, what Paul is talking about, the type of unity they needed to have, is not them all doing the same thing. It is being united in the sense of having that same goal. Think of a, since we've been talking about food, let's th think of a, a restaurant where the restaurant usually has, if it's a good restaurant, has one goal, to serve quality food to people. 
And so that means that that restaurant, you're going to have to have someone who's responsible to go and acquire the food. They have to go shop for it and bring it in. They have to order it, make sure all of the, the ingredients you need to be able to make the food arrive at the restaurant, right? Then the next step is that you have to look for someone who's going to, once the ingredients arrive, they have to do some prep ahead of time to make sure that once the ingredients are all there, they need to be able to put together into a recipe so that everything is going to be on its way to be prepared. And then the next thing you have to do is you have to cook it, unless you're making sushi and stuff like that. But, but most cases, when you have food, you're going to have to cook. You have to put it in the oven. You have to do something with it to get it ready to bring it all together. Then you need people to serve. And the process is there are going to be people who need to get it from the kitchen where it's prepared and get it on the plates and get it out to the people, to the customers. And then you're going to need somebody to be able to do the cleanup afterwards to get the dishes so we can start the process all over again. Many different tasks, many different responsibilities, one goal. And what we need to be able to see when we talk about the church being united, think about all of the things you do to help people have an encounter with the living God and then be able to have come together and have a relationship with him where they continue to grow. Because that sounds like pretty much what we try to do as a church, right? Some on an evangelism team, they go out and do evangelism. Some are the ones who help with a lot with discipleship. Some help with Sunday school. We have a team that leads worship. We have those who teach and do preaching. And think of all of the things you do as a church. Think of all of those different things. And if you're not doing one of them, maybe you need to consider being a part of doing some of the things that need to happen. Not to quote unquote make the church run, but to advance God's kingdom. Because that's what it's about. And I kind of challenge you as you continue to move forward, don't just worry about do we have a successful Sunday morning, but is the church really truly following its goal and its mission Monday through Sunday? Because it doesn't just end when we say amen and we walk out the door. That's when it's really just starting. How are you living your lives out as a united body of believers? You, you may decide to have a small group and you're going to invite some people and neighbors and friends into your home and coworkers and enemies and invite them into your house. But you might invite some other members from your church to be able to come and build relationships with them because guess what? They might build a relationship with them better than you did. And they might be able to lead them to faith or, or have the conversations with them that for some reason you just didn't, weren't able to have. Well, that's what it means to be able to come together as a body united with one goal. And so let's, let's focus in on what Paul was in the process of doing. Let's first look at Timothy's example, because he starts off with Timothy. In verse 19, he says he hopes to send Timothy to you shortly. And he says that he's, verses 20 through 22 is really where he focuses on Timothy. He says, for I have no one else of kindred spirit is the first one who would genuinely be concerned for your welfare and then he goes on and talks about, uh, for they all seek after their own interests. But he go, goes on in verse 22 and says, But you know of Timothy's proven character, and that he served me in the furthest of the gospel like a child serving his father. So the, once again, when the church was planted by Paul, Timothy was with him when the church was first planted. So Timothy is not 
uh, foreign to the church of Philippi either. They knew of him. They, obviously, he spent time there with them. But it says kindred spirit, once again, being like-souled, having a deep connection. And what that means is having a mind and a soul that's in alignment. Another character, a character of, for Timothy was that he was focused more on concern with other people than he was on necessarily himself. And we see it because that's what Paul says about him, talks about him, about his character. And we also see it because Timothy had the opportunity to demonstrate that to the church of Philippi when the church was being planted and also as he continued to follow Paul through his different missionary journeys. It says he has a proven character. And that means he was dependable and reliable. He was somebody that you could count on. And he served Paul, and if you give that a wonderful analogy, like a, like a son serving his father. There's a level of dedication there that's taking place. It's not just serving anybody. It's serving with someone with reverence, with respect, and the dedication is necessary. And so these are the characteristics that, that Paul believes really needs to be modeled again for the church of Philippi. Because after the church is planted and they leave, then whether it was through opposition or just sinfulness and things that were happening with the local body, they were starting to have divisions. They were cropping up, they were separating them. And so let's move on to the example that we see from Epaphroditus. His example, Paul starts talking about him in verse 25. And he says, but I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, and he says these things about Epaphroditus. He says, my brother, my fellow worker, fellow soldier, messenger, and minister. How many of us would love to have those things to be said about us? When someone wants to talk about us or introduce us or things, right? That that's what we were. Obviously, brother was really important. He wanted to let people know that there was a connection between the two of them. And once again, Epaphroditus, the, the church of Philippi knew him because he was their messenger. So when he says he's a messenger, and messenger here means someone sent on a mission to represent the interests of others. Epaphroditus is one of them. Apparently, he grew up with, got saved, was a part of the church of Philippi, and they decided to send him to be able to care for Paul while he was imprisoned. But it goes on to say Epaphroditus is a worker. Think about all those qualities. Think about if you want somebody to, to say that he's a fellow brother, a fellow worker, co-laborer we see in Scripture. One I love the most is fellow soldier. When you hear soldier, you hear trust. If someone's going to be, but I never served in any armed forces, but I can only imagine if I'm going to go to battle, I'm going to go to war, I need somebody beside me that I know has my back. I need somebody beside me that I know I can trust because I have to be focused on who I'm going to battle against, knowing that I have somebody with me. And so, that's some, and so that is what Paul is saying about Epaphroditus, that he is a soldier, someone you can trust in. And then at the same time, he is humble enough to still be a servant. So brother, worker, soldier, messenger, 
and minister. When, when, when you look back, and, and this is what I want you to get to, to lose here, is that remember what Paul is doing. He's given this compliment sandwich. He really, really, the meat of the sandwich is, is that there's division in Philippi. They're not getting along. They're fighting over the color of the carpet or whatever they're fighting over. But there's division that's taking place. And Paul's writing to address it. And then because he doesn't know when or if he's going to be able to make it there, even though he does want to get back there, he's going to go back and send people that he knows can be model servants for exactly the problem that they have. Amen? That's some of the things we have to stop and think about. When, when, if you're struggling in your finances, you don't want somebody that, that has, no, you know, is, has no clue about what you're doing with your finances, right? When, when you're having a problem in an area of your life, you want somebody you know you can trust that comes highly recommended for what you need that you're trying to have taken care of. That's why when a doctor or your general uh, practitioner says, oh, wait a second, I see this on this test I don't like, I'm going to send you to a specialist. You don't want him just to send you to anybody. You don't want to send you to his cousin Vinny. You want him, you want to be going to somebody you know who is a specialist, who knows what they're doing in a particular case. This is what Paul is doing for the church. He is sending them at his expense because it's not like Paul doesn't have needs and, and have people to, to tend to him in prison. So what he does is he says, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send them. And so when you look back at the earlier verses of Philippians 2, 3 through 4, you can kind of see what exactly is taking place here. Um, Epaphroditus, it says, was willing to risk his life. And so when you look at verses 3 and 4, it says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. And what we could tell from the text is that Epaphroditus was being sent as a messenger to tend to Paul and to bring a love offering or to care for him in, in, uh, where he was in prison. And in the process of doing that, he became very sick, sick to the point of death. Many of us and many others may have turned around and gone back home. Paul says that in verse 20. Uh, or 21, he says, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. Which means sometimes we will get, we think, well, hey, look, I got to worry about me first. I got to take care of me. But no, Epaphroditus pushed forward. He continued to push ahead to make sure that it wasn't just about him. He recognized that there were people on both ends. Paul and his colleagues and the church back in Philippi that were counting on him to come through and do what they were asking him to do. And so it says here, consider one another as more important than yourselves. When you're a fellow soldier, you risk your lives to save your brother or sister. And you, Epaphroditus was a messenger, represented the, the uh, interests of others. And so we can see that Epaphroditus was a model servant of unity. So when we look back at, at both of them and we take a look real quick, and just for sake of time, I'll let you do it later, but just look at the qualities of Timothy. They really line up with 
Philippians 2, 2. When you look at the qualities that Paul says Epaphroditus has, they really line up with chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. So the qualities that Paul is asking them to, to do better at, to change the date he wants to see happen in them, are already present in the two that he's sending to them. But we won't stop there. Because as we take a look and continue in the text, there is an importance of the order. Although Paul starts off by talking about Timothy, he really says, hey, look, but first, you know, I'm going to tease you. I'm sending you Timothy. I promise you Timothy. I'm going to do that later. Because first, I'm going to send you Epaphroditus. And Paul is, once again, skillful in how he's doing this. Epaphroditus, as we said, was one of them. He had serious, Scripture tells us he had serious concern for the people back in Philippi because they were concerned about him because he was sick and ill. And they're wondering, hey, he's our representative. He is our messenger. Did we send him off to die? And so they had a desire to see him. They had concern for him. And he had a desire to see them also, is what the text tells us. And if you think about it, since Epaphroditus is one of them, they're more likely to receive him first anyway because he was one of them. It's like welcome home. He's coming back and he's coming back to them. And Paul says in Philippians 2.28, he says, he says he will be less concerned about the Philippians. Don't miss that part. He says, therefore, I have sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice. But the real reason he's saying is, and so I may be less concerned about you. Meaning that you're going to have the letter, but then you're also going to have someone who's going to model it for you. You're going to have a model servant as an example. And there will be less concern. I didn't realize I was walking into a pastor search issue situation here. This text is going to hit home even more than if I was preaching it anywhere else. Because you're going to need to have someone who stands here Sunday after Sunday who's going to be a model servant for you. Amen? You're going to need to have, and I want you to feel that weight. Because you can't just choose somebody who's going to preach the way you like to hear preaching or do the style of worship or music or lead the way you want. All those things are good. Those are nice to haves. But you need someone who's going to be a model servant, who is going to do all of the godly things that need to be done so that you, Calvary, will never ever be embarrassed by who your leader is. And too many churches today really only have one criteria on a resume for a search committee, and that is, can he preach? And can he work for what we're paying him? (laughs) But those don't, at the end of the day, they don't matter. It matters is, are you going to have someone who is a godly model servant? They were sending... Paul was sending Epaphroditus first because they, they, of all the things I just mentioned, they knew him. He had the qualities, and he had the main qualities. And let's go back to verses in chapter two, verses three and four. Those qualities that they needed to focus on first. Those are things they really needed to to get right. If they couldn't get those things right, it was going to be a problem. 
Because from Epaphroditus, the Philippians would learn to trust one another. We talked about him being a soldier. He would teach them trust. He would teach them how to serve one another. He would teach them how to represent each other's interests and how to be willing to die for one another. Those were the qualities he was going to be able to start to teach them and model for them. He had already been doing it before. He's going to continue to do it when he went back. And what Paul is trying to do, sometimes you have people in your midst and you don't even realize or appreciate them for the qualities that they have. And so what Paul is hoping to do is be able to combine the letter that he's writing with the highlighting a person with the qualities that are necessary for the growth of the body and bringing them together and saying, look at this one who you already have in your midst, who is doing what needs to be done. Follow this model servant. Only once these things are accomplished and these things are in place, now can they receive Timothy, who's really coming along as icing on top of the cake. Sometimes you bake a cake, and the cake doesn't really come out as nice as you want it, so the icing is really the kind of the sweetness to cover up any you know, imperfections in the cake you baked. Well, in this case, Timothy is really, just, is really truly adding to a, an already incredible cake. But the icing that he is, is Timothy is going to be sent later. He was already known to the Philippians. We talked about that. He's already established himself as being reliable and dependable. And he's modeling chapter 2, verse 2. It says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Those are the things that once you kind of start to trust one another, once you start to be able to willing to sacrifice for each other, even willing to step out in front of a car and die for one another for the, for the sake, mainly for the cause of Christ first, but then for each other because you're both focused on Christ. Once you're able to do those things, then you can come back to these other things of having that deep connection and adding these other things on top that's going to solidify your unity. And so, you see both of them served. They, they had no problem. They had all of these qualities, but both of them were servants first. And so it's important that we take a look and understand that even in these verses, you might like glossed over and say, wow, I don't understand what, what the preacher is going to preach on this one. But as you look at the text, Paul has intention throughout it. He's complimenting them throughout and, and, and reminding them and sharing his love and he misses them. But like you're talking to your children, you got to get your grades up. I love you, and I want to take you to Disneyland. I want to do all these wonderful things, and when I come, this is what we're going to do. We're going to have fun. But you, in the meat of that, there's some things you have to change about what you're doing. So even for you here, as you guys are in the process of finding your new leader, make sure you guys take this time. This is not in my notes. But make sure you take this time to take a hard look at yourselves as a congregation, as a body. What do we need to do to prepare ourselves for our next leader? What can we do to make ourselves a better body so that when the leader comes along, we can just hit the ground running? We're not going to sit in the pits. We're not going to sit on the paddock and wait for the perfect person to come before we start doing ministry. Amen? That's something that you have to do. And so that brings me to the, the last part here is this talking about 
where are the model servants at? Yes, we talked about you looking for one and one coming along, but I believe that there are many that are already sitting here in the pews right now. That there are many model servants that are sitting here that God can be using and should be using. So think about this. There's some questions for you. How do you demonstrate, how do you live out your unity right here? If people would come in and take a survey of the church right now, how united would, would Calvary be? Would, do, does your community and the people around you and the people that know about you, do they understand and do they see you as a united community? A united church that's focused on helping to advance God's kingdom? Doesn't mean you all have to do the exact same thing. Because you really should be able to do different tasks. And just because you work in Sunday school doesn't mean, well, that's all I do. My job is Sunday school. That's all I do. I do Sunday school. And you do that for 30 years. There are other things you can do. God wants us to be versatile, where he can send us wherever he sends us to go. We're going to be successful. We're going to prosper. Great, you're wonderful in Sunday school. Great, you're, you're great at worship. But there are other parts of the body that could use you here at Calvary. It doesn't mean you have to do them all at once, but you can change it up. You can mix what you do. You stay close to the Father. You talk to him because guess what? Sometimes when he wants to move you into something different, you're going to miss it. Because all you, I talk to church planners about this all the time. I'm a church planner. God's called me to plan a church. Well, what if he changes your assignment five, ten years from now? We all have to be in communications with the Holy Spirit for when he wants to move on. Um, are we good on time? Okay, all right. Here's something to, to think about. And this, this was Old Testament. There were, the, the Israelites were follow, they were trying to follow God in the wilderness. And as they went to follow him in the wilderness, it, it was said they would follow the cloud by day and the pillar of fire at night, right? You remember those from the stories in the Old Testament? And what, so what happened is you imagine a million people following God in the wilderness. And when the, when the cloud or the pillar of fire settled on the place, that's how the Israelites knew that's where to camp. And so they would camp there and the Levites would get out and set up camp and they would do all of those things. I always say I never want to be a Levite back then because the thought is that you just nail that last stake into the ground and then the cloud gets up and moves. That would be my thing, you know. Man, I got to take all this up and move, right? So, but, the, but what I say is that the Israelites had to pay attention to God. Not take him for granted, not assume, but, and to know when he was about to move. Your pastor has been following the cloud. And God is in the process of moving him to what he wants him to do next, to his next place of ministry. I, I, it seems like everyone's really encouraged, and, and what I've heard as I prepared to come here, it's just that you're really coming behind him and encouraging him to do that. But he, in that way, is being a model servant for you. That I'm sure he, he's been bouncing all over this place like Tigger since I've, I've shown up. And the thought is it looks like he genuinely has a love for you. But guess who he loves more? The Lord. And when the Lord says move, 
That's what he's doing. And I can see it because I, have, I had a mother who just passed away recently and a baby girl that's my heart and a son too, but my baby girl. And she lived in Pittsburgh with us and we got up because God said move and to go from Pittsburgh to Southern California, we got up and moved. And I had to tell her, I said, there's only one person in the world who will make me leave the two of you. And it was the Lord. So we have to be in tune with what God wants us to do. So when it's time to move, we don't miss it. And so what I'm saying to you is that where does God, how does he want to use you? I'm not talking about leaving Calvary. That's what I'm, that's pastor's job right now. <laughs> but I'm talking about for you in the area of where you're serving. Keep your eyes open. Pay attention to the Lord. He may want you to, to expand and grow into a different area of service, right? Scripture says where he is, where we are weak, there he is strong. So there, you may be scared to death to go out and share your faith and do evangelism or do outreach and things like that. But that might be right where he wants you to be because guess what you have to do? You have to trust in him a whole lot more than in your ability to do something. All right, let's get back to where I was supposed to be. Um, my, if, if, if I behave myself and the Lord blesses me, my wife and I will continue. We'll, we'll celebrate 35 years next Sunday. Okay, amen? Um, I married her when she was 10. <laughs> um, no, don't. That was a bad joke. Um, but, but over those years of our marriage, here's what I've learned, is that our marriage we always got to, out of necessity, we shared roles. You know, there were times where she would cook, I would cook. If the kids, if the diapers need to be changed, you do what had to be done, right? It's not like you want to do it. So all of the different things we did, whether it was washing clothes or laundry or mowing the lawn, sometimes one of us would primarily have a responsibility. But if you know, if I was hurt or something happened or I had to study or something else happened and the lawn was this high, she would go out and mow the lawn. She didn't like to do it, but she did it because it was a part of our family's responsibility to make sure everything was taken care of and it was moving forward. We were united in one goal. And I give you that example just because of what I was just talking about. It's important to be able to hopefully be able to have your roles be, be versatile so that there are many different ways that God can use you. And, and all you have to do is, is stay in contact with him and be obedient. And I say all you have to do. That's, that is, those are two tall orders right there. But he will guide you. And I'm, my wife and I, we still get up in the morning. So we live in Southern California. And I, I'm, I've lived in Pennsylvania all my life. And she's from Jersey. And it's like we never saw God using us this way. And it will happen to you, too, if you just continue to stay close to him and continue to be obedient to what he's calling you to do. And so what I want you to think about today is think about role models, model servants that are here today. Who are they? And are you one of them or not? And if you're not, what do you need in your sandwich? What is Paul, what does God need to talk to you about so that you become one of those model servants? Because we all have a responsibility to do that. Because even if we are not one here, we need to be one where we, when we leave. Where we work, where we play, 
We need to be able to, we talk about shine in the light of Christ. That means to be able to be the model servant that we're supposed to be. And so since he talked about me being a professor, I have homework for you. Somebody said, uh-oh. Um, ask yourself these questions. Who are my models that I look up to? Who are they? And at the same time, who am I a model for? We have Christ in us. We should be discipling people before they get saved, after they get saved. Discipling them is just helping them to continue to grow and follow in and learn about who Christ is. So who are you a model for? And guess what? If you don't, then you probably need to seek someone out here and say, look, I need a model in my life. And after you pray about it, you approach that person and say, will you, will you be a model for me? Will you be that model servant? Will you disciple me? Will you hold me accountable? That's one word we really haven't talked about a lot today, but it's actually really truly there. Because when we talk about trust and fellow soldier and servant, all of that speaks accountability. That you have somebody who's going to hold you accountable and help you grow at the same time. Because really, we stop and think about it, that's what Paul is doing here for those in Philippi. He's holding them accountable to live proper lives, to live godly lives. And guess what? He does more than just lip service, right? He does more than just write them a letter and say, well, I hope they figure it out. No, he puts his, we say, put your money where your mouth is. He puts actions behind it. He says, I'm going to send you people so you have no excuse well, we received your letter, but we didn't know how. No, I'm sending you Epaphroditus first, who you know, who's already been doing it in your midst, and I'm going to send you Timothy, who knows you and you know you have really good examples. And you got two examples. You can't get it from one, you'll get it from the other, because they're both good servants. And I don't know, for some reason, I have marriage down here. Whose marriage do you look at as a model? Nobody has a perfect marriage. But whose marriage do you look at as a model? Do you have one? Do you have a couple that you look up to that kind of can help you when things go wrong or help you? That, so if you have questions to ask and continue. And who are you being a model for? I, nobody's told me anything. I don't know of any needs. If that's not you, then just move on. Let that fly on by you and hit the back wall. But if not, think about it, is that your marriage matters because for your children, your family, people are always watching us. And so it's going to be important that you allow other people to hold you accountable so that you can grow. It's so critical. Understand that that those things of Who's going to hold you accountable? Who you're going to be able to to show and have as a model is so important. Paul's doing it here in these verses, and that's something that we should ascribe to today, is is that that's something we should be focusing on, is how can we be a model servant? Because guess what? Think of how excited the next pastor will be when he shows up here and he sees a whole bunch of model servants who weren't just waiting for him to show up but they were actually on mission and actually doing more in the church than when the last pastor was here, and they're excited about moving forward, and now he can hit the ground running. Amen? Let us pray. 
And uh, I, just, I just have to say it here. I don't know anybody here, so I'm apologize kind of ahead of time. But if you're not here today, I don't know how many people are saved or unsaved. Only one I can answer for is myself. But if you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're online and you just stumbled across this or you're watching and you've never accepted Christ, just know that um, uh, there are, are there deacons here? Elders? Deacons? If you're here, stand, please. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, these are men that you can talk to. I'm not going to, you know, some congregations I go to, they have you cartwheel down the aisle, accept Christ. We're not going to do that today. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, these are four men that you can have a conversation with, and I'll be a fifth one to be able to talk to you and help you be able to have that relationship here. We can start modeling it for you, what it looks like to follow Christ and have a life with him. And you'll be with him for eternity. Thank you, my brothers. Let us pray. Father God, we are thankful for you and for who you are. We look to you ultimately, Lord, as our model that we want to live more like you, that we want to be obedient to you, that we want to look to serve you and do just, just give our complete lives to you. But we also thank you, Father, for the godly men and women that you place in our lives to help us just with that next step. Because at times it can get overwhelming trying to be like you, Father. But it's so wonderful to have other men and women who we open our lives to and, and, and they, they open their lives to us. And we're, they let us see their, their faults and their struggles and their challenges, as well as their victories. And they, they help us grow. And so, Father, I just pray for, for this congregation to continue to, to, to join closer together and become even more united than they already are by opening themselves up to each other and modeling for each other, holding each other accountable. Father, so that you get the glory, not just so they come together and so they can sing Kumbaya, but Father, so that people can come to know you as Lord and Savior, that people can grow in you, that they can receive from you, that they can become a part of your kingdom, and that they can help it to continue to advance. We don't want to, we're tired of sitting on our hands and just coming to church and just doing routine. Help us to see you. Help us to know you. Help us to see what you want us to do, how you want us to serve. Move in us like you haven't moved before. And we'll give you all honor, all praise, and all glory. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Jenkins, for just bringing the Amen. word. Amen. Faithful to the word of God. Thank Amen. you very Amen. much.